missed. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Can we just thank our kids' worship team one last time? I love, you know, our mission here at the chapel is to help people move one step closer to God and to each other through Christ. I love that we get the chance to see our kids taking those next steps. And I just have to brag on some of our leaders, Eric and Melissa and April, as well as a lot of the volunteer leaders that just spend so many hours with these kids loving and caring for them. It's pretty special. I'm very proud of our team. They're doing a great job. There is... Some stuff that's going on this week, though, that I want to make sure you're aware of. In fact, something that's happening right after the service today is called a second glance. If you are new to the chapel, maybe you have been coming for a few weeks, you just haven't quite felt like you figured out how to get plugged in, or perhaps even today is your first time with us, then I want to invite you to this second glance where some of the staff is going to be there um, to meet you. I'm just going to share with you a few minutes about our vision and values here at the church, just so that you can learn more. Um, I even show you around the church a little bit so you can see what happens, something a little behind the scenes. All this at the second glance today at one o'clock today. So hopefully you can join us for that. Then um, tomorrow night in Sandusky, at our Sandusky campus, we have our parenting seminar. This is going to be great. I hope that you can join us with that for this. There is no registration that's needed to come to this, but just keep in mind, too, there's also no child care for this, unfortunately, so plan for that accordingly, if you would, as you come, but I hope that you'll be able to be a part of that tomorrow night, and then Friday night, lots of stuff happening this week, our Marriage Matters that do events once a month for um, married couples and engaged couples, they have their date night on Friday night for Cinco de Mayo. Lots of nachos and salsa and all sorts of other things. We would ask you to register, text the word love to this number on the screen. And this information is in your welcome program too, so you don't have to remember it. But um, uh, this will be a great time. I hope that you can join us for that as well. You know, over these past several years of being a pastor, I've had the opportunity to do some weddings. And um, weddings are always fun and always interesting without a doubt. Uh, a lot of things can happen during weddings that would take you by surprise. Thankfully for me, there hasn't been anything horribly that's gone wrong at a, a wedding, at least yet, but I've heard some horror stories, and I've heard some interesting things that have happened at weddings. So what I did for you this morning was I just compiled a list of the top seven worst possible things that could happen at a wedding. See if you agree. I'll start with number seven, and we'll work our way down to one. These are the seven worst things that could potentially happen at a wedding. Here we go. Number seven, parents object. Well, we don't do this anymore. I remember back in the day, the pastor used to say, does anyone here object to this wedding? We, we just cut that out. We don't even say that anymore. Um, hopefully they've talked about that ahead of time. Bad weather. Nobody wants rain on their wedding day. Number five, missing rings. Can you imagine? That would make for an uncomfortable conversation. Number four, guests cancel. Now, to me... 
I'm not a detail-oriented person. This didn't seem to bother me at all. But if you are in this room and you are a detail-oriented person, this is driving you crazy because you got all the tables arranged and the caterers and blah, blah, blah. Uh, Number three, dress doesn't fit. (laughs) I don't know what to tell you with that. (laughs) It can't help you there. Number two, your ex shows up. Seriously. Is this a thing? Like, do people really do this? I don't know. Okay, so the worst thing that could happen at a wedding, this is worse than your ex showing up. This is when maybe the bride or groom doesn't show up. I've never had these things happen. I never want them to happen, but I can't imagine. The story that we are going to read today in John chapter to it, something happened at a wedding, and, and it was during the time of Jesus when, when one Bible scholar said that what happened would have been a complete social disgrace. In fact, he said this, he said, in the closely knit communities of Jesus' day, such an error would never be forgotten and would haunt the newly married couple all of their lives. This is a big deal, and I'm wondering what could have possibly happened at a wedding that would have been so disgraceful. Well, as we read the story today in John chapter 2, along the way, I want to just kind of stop, highlight a few things. We're going to look at what happened, look at what was taking place, and then hopefully learn some life lessons along the way. And so if you would, turn with me to John chapter 2. It's towards the back of your Bible. Um, If you don't have a Bible, we have some in the back of this room. In fact, if you don't own a Bible, I want you to take one of ours. It is for you to have so that you can follow along with us. Of course, online, you can use your phone as well. John chapter 2 starts like this. The next day, there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. Now, I stopped there just for a second because there's a couple of things we need to know. It says there's a wedding celebration taking place. Now, in our culture, weddings are a big deal, yes, but in this culture, in Jewish culture, weddings were even a, a bigger deal. In fact, there was really kind of two different weddings that would take place. The first was the betrothal. And during this betrothal, it, what would happen was the groom and his family would would offer a great payment to the father of the bride. So essentially, the groom and his family would pay for the young woman. Now, I have two daughters. This sounds like a great plan to me. I love this. Let's bring this back. And then, and then what happens is, is as the betrothal period began, they were officially, they would be married legally. However, the bride would stay in her parents' house, live with her parents until the day of the ceremony, until the father said it was okay. Again, great idea. I get paid and I get to keep my kid until I say it's time for her to go. I love this plan, um, but this is how it, it was. The second wedding celebration was the legal wedding would it would become official they would consummate they would celebrate they would have a giant feast they would party it was a reception that that was a big to do and that is the celebration that we see happening here in John chapter 2 it's the big celebration big stuff's happening and then and then what happens is we see that Jesus's mother was there which this is this is critical that we know she's there now we're not 100% sure 
Bible scholars aren't 100% sure of what was going on, the relationship here, but clearly Mary wasn't just an acquaintance with this family. She had, she had some kind of a relationship with. I read one Bible scholar who, who even suggested that maybe Mary was the wedding, wedding coordinator and had some responsibilities at this wedding. Not sure, but we know that she had a, a good relationship with this family, and so she was part of this wedding as well. And then it goes on in verse 2 to say this, Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. Now, this is significant. It's significant that Jesus and his disciples were invited to be a part of this celebration. And I said, why was that important? Well, evidently, evidently having Jesus at your wedding reception wasn't, they weren't worried about that. They, they weren't concerned about Jesus being a party pooper. They weren't concerned about Jesus bringing down the mood or sitting in the corner judging them all night long. And I say that because sometimes I think our picture of who Jesus is, is this holy man who walks around stoic and he never smiles and he doesn't enjoy life and he has no sense of humor and he doesn't have fun and he's just serious all the time. But that is not the picture of Jesus that I see in scripture and that is definitely not the picture of Jesus we see here in this passage. He was clearly at the celebration and they welcomed him to be there. They weren't afraid to have him a part of their big day, which brings me to the first life lesson I want to bring up to us today. It's simply this, that you can't invite Jesus into every part of your life. You don't have to be concerned to bring him in. In fact, not only does he want to be invited in, but he cares. You know, Jesus was on a mission here. He was on a mission to the cross. His purpose was huge. And yet, he must have thought it was worth his time to stop and be a part of this celebration. Sometimes I think we think we can only invite Jesus into these big things. No, no, he wants to be a part of our lives. And so I ask you, have you, have you invited Jesus to be in in your life, your marriage? Have you invited him in? What about your friendships? Have you invited him in? What, what about your vacations and your parties, your hobbies? Do you allow Jesus to be a part of those things? Because I promise you he's interested and cares. We can invite him in to every aspect of our life. In fact, Charles Spurgeon, he wrote this. He said, Jesus comes to a marriage and gives his blessing there that we may know our family life is under his care. We can entrust him with our lives. Invite him in. But now we get to verse 3. Verse 3 is where we see the big problem occur. This is the embarrassing moment. This is the worst thing that could possibly happen at a wedding. Are you ready? Verse 3, here it goes. The wine supply ran out, to which I know some of you are like, mm, I'm out. <laughs> the wine supply ran out. This is a big deal. This is a big deal during the festivity. So Jesus' mother told him, have no more wine. You know, this is a big deal for several reasons. One, because this was a common drink of the day, the serving your guests wine. It wasn't just customary, it was an expectation. People often would have traveled from miles and miles around to be at this celebration. They would have come expecting there to be adequate food, adequate drink, 
having wine there for them. To come and not have that stuff would have been a social disgrace. It would have been a mark on this young couple's life. It would have been a blemish on their reputation that honestly would have stuck with them throughout their entire lives. You do not need this on your wedding day. Marriages are hard enough, especially at the beginning. They don't need this part of it. This was a huge deal. The interesting thing is, based on on this story, we're not 100% sure if the couple even knew this was going on. Perhaps they were clueless. Maybe the family didn't know they were running low. But somebody did know. Mary knew. Mary found out, hey, this is a problem. And she stepped in to do something. And I wondered about Mary. You know, you suppose Mary, of all people, she knew about social disgraces, right? I wonder if she just had a heart for this to say, I have felt this social disgrace my whole life, and I'm not about to let these guys feel it too. Maybe. Or maybe she, she just knew this had to be stopped, and so she went to Jesus, maybe because she knew that Jesus would care. Maybe she knew that Jesus w- w- would would not want the celebration to end early. Maybe she knew that Jesus not only had the heart to care about this problem, but he had the power to do something about it. I often wondered, you know, do you suppose that Mary, even as, as, as she was um, raising Jesus and he became a young man and, and, and began his ministry, do you suppose she even maybe unknowingly witnessed him do some incredible things and she just knew, my boy, my son, Why, Jesus can do something about this. So she went to Jesus and asked for help. This is another life lesson for us. Whatever it is, take it to Jesus. Whatever is going on, whatever the problem, whatever the situation, whatever is happening in your life, it is always best to take it to Jesus first. Mary gave us that example, and I do think she was going to Jesus hoping that he would do some kind of a miracle because of Jesus' response to her in the next verse. Look at verse 4. It says, Dear woman, that is not our problem, Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. Now, when I first read this, I think, you know what, it sounds a little cold, a little unsympathetic in his response. It's like he's saying, look, it's not my problem, lady. But I, I... have you ever been in this situation at work? Or, or, or maybe you bought a new car and it had a warranty, or maybe you bought a package on Amazon, or maybe you're on the phone with your medical insurance company, and it's something that's urgent, it's something that's expensive, it's something that's important, something you care about, and the person on the other line goes, it's not my problem. Frustrating. But I don't think that's what's happening here. We can't get frustrated at Jesus in this moment because he's not saying, I don't care about this problem. No, in fact, we know he says those words, dear woman. Dear woman, this is a term of endearment, of care, of intimacy. He he loved his mom. He he doesn't say, Come on, Mom. He's not addressing her from a human family relationship position. He's addressing her more spiritually. He says to her, dear woman, in fact, one Bible commentator says this, so far from being a rough and discourteous way of address, it was a title of respect. 
We have no way of speaking in English which exactly renders it, but it is better to translate it lady, which gives at least the courtesy in it. There is compassion in Jesus for his mother's request. However, he has to remind her of a couple of things in his response. I think the first thing Jesus is reminding Mary of here is, is, look, this really wasn't their problem. (laughs) They were the guests at this wedding. It was the family's responsibility. It was the family's job to to provide for the guests. It wasn't his problem. I'm going to come back to that in just a few minutes. Let me jump to the second thing he was saying to Mary. And this is the, I think, more important thing that he said, because he reminds her of this in the second part of this verse. He said, my time has not yet come. My time has not yet come. I think the second thing Jesus was reminding his mom about was, look, I don't take orders from my mom. I take orders from my father, my heavenly father. I don't take orders from my earthly father. I take orders from my heavenly father. This wasn't disrespectful. This was an acknowledgement and a recognition for who he is and for his purpose in being here. We know Jesus loved his mother. He loved her so much that as he was dying on the cross, taking his final breaths, he looked down from the cross and he saw his mother and he saw John, his dearly loved friend, the guy whose book we're reading today. And he said, John, my mother, and my mother, John, take care of him. Take care of her. They, he, she, he made sure in his last breaths that she was taken care of. He loved his mom so much. But in this instance, in this particular instance, he's saying, look, as my mom, you can't make this miraculous request of me. You can't push me to show my glory. I have to, I have to know that it was what my father, my heavenly father wants me to do. We see this later in John, in chapter 5, he said, I'll tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son also does. And then he says a couple of verses later, I carry out the will of the one who sent me, not my own will. So in this moment, Jesus makes no promises to his mom about her request. And I often wonder, perhaps, do you think, He just needed a moment to seek his father's will before he made a decision. Maybe this is another life lesson for us today, that before you make a decision or a choice in life, it is best to always seek our heavenly father's will. Perhaps that's the case. But even even though Jesus doesn't tell his mom what he's going to do, she has no idea if he's even going to do anything. I love Mary's response to him. And says this, his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. She doesn't know. She doesn't know what he's going to do, if anything. But he, she tells the servants, just do whatever he tells you to do, because Mary trusts Jesus. Mary trusted Jesus would do what was ever best in that situation. Even though she didn't know what it was, she trusted that he would do what was best. And she leaned into him, maybe another life lesson, that we need to trust Jesus even when we don't know things. But then, this is what happens next in verse 6 through 8. I love this. It says, standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. 
Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. When the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremony. So the servants followed his instructions. Now, if you just give me a second to do a little bit of math, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, my calculations, six stone water jars, top to the brim, 30 gallons at max, that is 180 gallons of water, right? 180 gallons of water comes out to being 682 liters. If I do my math, that is 908 bottles of wine. 908 bottles. I stop and I reflect on that number because my heart overwhelms when I think of the generosity the lavishness of Jesus, the level of care for this family. He didn't just give them the adequate amount. He went over the top, loving and blessing and lavishing on top of them. It's an incredible number, 908, which just tells me something. It tells me that even my expectations are too low when it comes to Jesus. Because he goes over the top. He's so lavish. And now when Jesus tells the servants to go get some jars and fill them with water, can you imagine these guys, what they had been thinking? Are you crazy? This guy's nuts. He wants us to get water. We're not out of water, Jesus. We're out of wine. Why are we getting more water? This would have been, put yourself in their shoes. They didn't have the book of John to read, so they didn't know what was happening. They, at this point, Jesus had not done a public miracle. They hadn't seen this before. They didn't know what he was going to do. They didn't have a history or a track record to fall back on where they would have said, oh, yeah, 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 we've seen them do this before. Wait, 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 watch. This is going to be cool. They They wouldn't have had that. They didn't understand what was taking place in that moment. They had no idea, but they did what they were told because Mary said, do whatever he says. And they said, okay. So they went and listened and filled the jars with water. This leads me to another life lesson for us today. It's the one Mary teaches us that no matter what, do what Jesus says. No matter what, that should be our approach to this life. And somebody says, what should I do? What should I do? Do whatever Jesus says. Go with that guy. Every time. Jesus, this is another thing. Jesus could have done this miracle all by himself. He didn't need their help. He didn't need them to fill the water jugs. He could have done all that himself. He didn't need them. The cool thing about this miracle is that he chose to include them in this miracle. He chose to bring them into this. Can you, can you imagine? And they chose to say yes and obeyed. This is the coolest thing. They were a part of a miracle and they had no idea it was happening. Do you suppose this happens to us sometimes? That Jesus is doing something incredible. And he can do it with or without us. But he chooses to bring us in. And then we have the opportunity to say yes or no. I, I shudder at the times I have potentially said no and missed out on an incredible thing he wanted to include me in. Or the times I've said yes and I got to be a part of something awesome. 
These guys had no idea, but Jesus included them in this miracle. We may not know what Jesus is up to in our life or the life of others, and quite frankly, sometimes it just doesn't make sense, but I'm telling you, it's always the right decision to do what Jesus says to do, because remember, if some guy can predict his own death, burial, and resurrection, and pull it off, you always go with that guy every single time. Go with him. Here's another part of the story. I'm sorry I'm getting off on bunny trails, but this is my brain. I apologize for it. So the other cool thing I'm thinking about this story is this water, it doesn't say it turned into wine instantly. I never thought about this before. I just assumed they filled the jars with water and it turned into wine. But as I read the story and as I studied this more, I, I can't help but imagine that this isn't the case. They filled the jars with water, and then they said, go dip the cup in the water. And so they dipped the cup in the water, and they said, take the cup of water to the master of ceremonies. Can you imagine these guys dipping the cup in water, carrying a glass of water to the master of ceremonies, handing him a cup of water, the master of ceremonies taking the cup of water, holding this water up to his mouth. they got to be thinking, this is not going to end well. And he tips the water into his mouth, and the moment... The moment it touches his tongue. Wine. It's such a cool thought. The servants, they take this water to the master of ceremonies to taste this wine. The master of ceremonies, he tastes it. It turns to wine. And then this is what the master of ceremonies says. I love this. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wines. Makes perfect sense to me. But you have kept the best wine until now. Get this. We've read this a hundred times, but get this. This miracle. 908 bottles of wine. Let me back up. 900 and eight bottles of top-shelf hooch. That is behind-the-counter, locked cabinet. You can't afford to buy this wine. 908 bottles. The lavishness and generosity of Jesus is overwhelming to me, which brings me to the next life lesson. If Jesus is in it, the best is yet to come. Jesus saved the best for last. He came through when it mattered the most. He provided a better wine for this party than this couple could have ever imagined because if Jesus is in it, you're going to get the best. And then it says this in verse 11. This miraculous sign in Canaan and Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples believed him. Remember, that's why John wrote this book. It's so that we would believe, and now we see the disciples believed him. And the story is included so that we might believe too. This is the first of seven signs that we're going to see across the gospel of John. And this wasn't just a miracle for miracle's sake. It wasn't a miracle just to save this couple from social disgrace, although it did. This was a miracle that, that is a, a, a sign and that sign is like a pointer, a, a pointing to something, pointing to someone, it's pointing to Jesus, it's pointing to the kingdom of God, and it's pointing with the purpose of helping them to believe and helping us to believe as well. And so what does this point to? Well, let, 
let me just kind of wrap up with a couple of thoughts of what this points to, okay? First thing, it points to the fact Jesus will do something about our problem, even if it's not his problem. Remember I said at the beginning, he is, this isn't our problem, my problem. And yet he did something about it. The same is true in our life. He will do something about our problem even if it's not his problem. we got lots of problems. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is our big problem. That one where we are sinful. That one where we have fallen away and we are separate from God and our relationship with him has been separated because of our sin and because of who we are. And you and I can't fix that problem on our own. We've tried and tried and failed, and we have no fix for that until Jesus said, I am willing to do something about your problem, your problem. And so he did for us what we could never do for ourselves, and he came down and he went to the cross. He paid for our sins and our shame and our penalty. He rose from the grave to provide power over life, power over death, and the power to forgive. He fixed our problem, even though it wasn't his problem. Number two, points to the fact that Jesus is all about transformation. This is his first miracle, and it was a miracle of transformation. In this case, he transformed water into wine. But we see a God who has the power to transform more than just water to wine. He can transform us and our sinful lives into selfless, caring, loving people. He he says we are not the same. We are a new creation in Christ. He transforms us. And that's not always comfortable. Believe me, I'm still working on it. We're continually being transformed. But he transforms us. He has the power to do the impossible. And so I ask, what is it in your life right now? Is there a problem? Or maybe it's your life that's the problem. And it needs to be transformed. And you think there's no hope for change. But I tell you, Jesus isn't limited. And I can tell you that because I know he can change anything because he changed me. And if he can change me, he can change anyone. He's not limited. He's all about transformation. Number three, this points to the fact that Jesus' glory is in his compassion, his humility, and generosity. You know, he shows his glory and care for what was probably a poor couple on their wedding day. We can all relate to that. And he provides to them what they could not provide, and he saves them from public scorn because he cares because he loves them, and he cares about them. He cared about the situation. He cares about you and your situation. He cares about us, and he showed the ultimate care the moment he went to the cross. It was his greatest show of compassion and humility. No doubt he loves us. And then the last thing I want to point out is this. Points to even greater wedding feast and celebration. Have you ever thought about this? thought that there is going to be a grand celebration in the future when, when Jesus and his people are reunited. In fact, it says this in Revelation, the last book in the Bible. It says this, Let us be glad and rejoice. 
Let us give honor to him, for the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb, that is Jesus, and his bride has prepared herself. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And he added, these are true words that come from God. This is a grand wedding feast where those who have put their faith and trust and made Jesus the leader of their lives, they are the bride, we are the bride, and Jesus himself is the bridegroom, and we will be reunited with him together forever and ever. And guess what? The celebration doesn't end. So if you're a Christ follower in this room, I, I hope this gives you hope. I, the knowledge of this and what is to come should be an encouragement to you to press on when things get tough, to hold the line, to keep steady. This should, this should change the way that we, we think. This should change our attitudes. This should change our perspective. It should change our perspective on relationships and on marriage, it should change how we operate in life with this truth. Because we have an incredible hope, a celebration that is unending. If you're in this room and you're not a follower of Jesus, you're still kind of checking things out and you're not 100% sure what you think, I wonder if you would consider this today. Consider this hope. Consider this truth. You know, I I'm not saying change is easy. It can be hard and it can be uncomfortable, but I'm telling you this. It is worth it. Following Jesus has been an adventure of a lifetime, and it's been uncomfortable and hard at times, but I tell you, it is worth it. And it is worth it because when it comes to Jesus, the best is yet to come. It's worth it. Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the story. Thank you for what it represents. Thank you for your care, your lavishness, your generosity. Lord, I thank you that we can go to you, that we can include you in our lives. Lord, that we can, that we can look to you for direction. Lord, I do thank you above all that you have done something for us we could never do for ourselves. I thank you for your sacrifice on the cross and the forgiveness that you've given. I thank you, Lord, for coming into my life, for changing it, for saving me. Lord, thank you. We love you so much. And it's in your name I pray, amen. Hey, have a great rest of your afternoon. See you next week.